0: Not sure if you noticed or not, but Drew and I are wearing uniforms this morning. We coordinated uh, via text message before we arrived today. Just had to state the obvious. As we open God's Word, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We desire that Your Word would speak into our lives. And Lord, we um, we know and confess that your word is living and it's active and it's sharper than a double edged sword and it pierces to the division of bone and marrow and of uh, soul and a spirit and is a discerner of the truth and the intents of our hearts. And so, God, as we are laid open this morning before your word, we ask that you would speak to us. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is A Portrait of Intimacy with God. <clears throat> and it's found in Psalm 139. This is a f- familiar psalm for many. Uh, but this psalm speaks about God and his knowledge of who we are, his intimacy, his intimate knowledge of us as individuals, as people. And so this morning, before we jump into the text, I want us to first begin by reading in verse 1 through verse 24. So if you found your place in Psalm 139, would you let it be known by saying amen? Follow along as I read. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me. O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, there's great comfort in being known completely by someone and then having that person still care for you in return, right? Right? I mean, there, there's great comfort in that, because when someone truly knows us, they know all about us, they know everything about us, and yet they still care for us. That's a comforting thing. I submit to you that that's an environment where where shame perishes or, 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 or runs away, where one can be free to live and, uh, and, and enjoy the comforts of This thing called intimacy. Intimacy, not having to worry about someone knowing you and not loving you. Intimacy, it's this relational aspect that we have with one another, with significant others in our lives. And ultimately, what I want us to see in this psalm, it is a relational aspect that we are to enjoy between ourselves and God are between God and his creation. I remember early on in my ministry when a brother in Christ who had been on mission trips with me, and he was a friend. He showed up in my office one Sunday afternoon as I was preparing for evening worship. He stood in my doorway with an intense look on his face, and I could tell that something was wrong. And so I said, come sit down, let's talk. He said, no, I'm not going to be staying. So I approached him and said, what's wrong? What's going on? And as I approached him, his eyes kind of turned cold and he had this stare in his face. He was gleaning at me and he looked at me and he pointed and he said, you have a wicked heart. And I was stunned into silence. I didn't know what to say in response to him. I never had anyone tell me that face to face, you've got a wicked heart. Now, if you don't know, the most vulnerable time in a preacher's life is the 24-hour time frame just after he has finished preaching before the congregation. And this fit well within that window, only a few hours after Sunday morning service. And so in my silence, I thought of about 15 different things that I wanted to say to him. Chiefly, among those was, how dare you? You don't know my heart. You can't see inside of me. And then a close second to that was to remind him of all the internal struggles that he was battling, that I was just personally walking through with him. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and confirmed what I knew to be true. The reality is that I do have a wicked heart. Whether his intentions were noble or pure, it doesn't matter. The reality is it's true. And so I replied, I I know my heart's wicked, but I'm not aware of what I've done to offend you so deeply. Will you tell me what I've done? Then he repeated, you have a wicked heart, and he turned and left. To this day, I don't know what I did to offend that brother, but I can say with a clear conscience, I never said or did anything to my knowledge to hurt or to offend him. And to this day, I don't know if he was a messenger of Christ or a messenger of Satan. Honestly, I don't. But what he said was true. It's a tempting thought that if others really knew me, if they knew me intimately, they wouldn't like me. I don't know if you can identify with that thought. Maybe you can. I wonder by a show of hands this morning, how many in here would want everyone to know everything, everyone in here to know everything about us, every thought, every action, every motive, everything. Raise your hand if if you would want No takers. Why not? Well, one, it'd, it'd be incredibly uncomfortable. Would they cease being your friend? Would they cease trusting you? Would they not want to be in your presence? So this morning, I... I think this psalm gives us a portrait of intimacy with God from the perspective first of God looking upon us in relation to us, his people. And so this morning, I want to give us five confessions or give us five reasons, five confessions of the true worshiper that leads to intimacy with God. And the first one this morning is this. You know everything about me. And you still love me. It's an incredible thought if you just pause and. Chew on it for a moment, it's simple, but yet God knows everything about us and he still loves us. Listen, how intimate God's knowledge is about us in verses one through five, verse one. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, verse two, this this is deeply personal. David says, you've searched me. You've investigated me. And here's the reality. God has he's investigated us. He's explored, really, the shallow depths of who we are as one explores a city. He sees the heart of the individual. Our hearts are uncovered in his presence. He knows the most foundational convictions of who we are. You see, God's knowledge of us is comprehensive. You might even say, he knows me better than I know what myself look in verse 2 you know when i sit down and when i rise up you discern my thoughts from afar verse 4 even before a word is on my tongue behold O lord you know it all together that is to say he knows our activity he knows when i sit and when i rise he understands my thoughts he discerns my thoughts from afar he understands my thoughts even before i fully thought them is what david is confessing here verse 4 even before a word is on my tongue he knows how we can be self-deceived about our own convictions listen we're the king and queen of justification and rationalization in our sin this is why david says in psalm 19:13 keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Listen to verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There's not a thing about our lives that God doesn't know. There's not a thing about the path that we walk that he is unaware of. He knows where I go, and He knows where I rest, and He's familiar with all of my ways. My motives are constantly on display before God. He reads me. He reads you like an open book. This reminded me of the song that I learned in Sunday school when I was a young child. Maybe you learned it too. Maybe you're not familiar with it, but I'm going to tell you anyway, and you can thank me later. Sing it. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, He is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And so on with our hands and with our feet and with our mouth. Brothers and sisters, we're to be guarded, understanding that God searches out our path. He, he knows what. All about us. He's acquainted with all our ways. And look in verse 5. You hem me in behind him before and lay your hand upon me. David's saying that even in all of God's knowledge of him, God still actively works in his life for his good. He's saying he's my fortress on all sides. He protects us. And yet he exposes our weaknesses at the same time. God knows us as a painter, knows his painting. And as a poet, knows his poetry. We're open before him. But Not only is this deeply personal for King David, it's deeply humbling at the same time. Look in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. I believe Paul was equally stunned by an awareness of God's awesome sovereignty when he wrote in Romans eleven thirty three, 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You see, he not only knows us as creator, but get this. He knows us because in the person of Jesus Christ, he became like us and he identified with us. You see, he understands our weaknesses. Jesus became flesh, taking upon himself the form of man, as scripture says. The miracle of the incarnation points us to see that God, our creator, knows us so well that he knew there was only one way to redeem man from the fallen sinful nature that's inherent within us. So God sought us out. He sought us out to restore the intimacy that he desired with us in creation, right? You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You're acquainted with all of my ways. And he did this so that he did this through God the Son. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb, as we sang about earlier, to redeem us from sin. And in so doing, he, Jesus, satisfied our sin debt before God the Father. Listen, the intimate knowledge that God has of King David in this psalm is the same intimate knowledge that God has of us in verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6 affirm, then, God's knowledge of us. And so the question isn't, does God know us The question that we must ask is this, do we know God? The amazing grace, truth filled. I'm sorry, let me say that again. The amazing grace filled truth of scripture is that God knows everything about us and he still loves us. There's a second confession leading to intimacy with God. And that begins in verse seven. And it's this, you are everywhere, and I cannot run from you. We see this in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? You see, David moves from a response of wonder in verse 6 to a response of flight in verse 7. But you know, this shouldn't shock us. I'll tell you why it shouldn't shock us, because when our guilt in a matter is exposed, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to deflect, right? We want to run and hide, i.e. the uh, the conversation, the uncomfortable confrontation that, that was brought to my office door. What's the first thing we want to do? We want to deflect. We want to run. We want to hide. It's part of our fallen nature to seek isolation in our guilt before those who know us, those who know us best. It's called shame. Guilt and shame cause us to keep others out at an arm's length. You see, one of the deceitful traps of sin is that it pushes us away from intimacy. It pushes us out of community with others and with God. And this happens in all relationships. It happens in marriage. It happens in friendships. It happens in parent child relationships. When we have shame or we have guilt, we push away from intimacy with others. We push away from intimacy because it's in intimacy that we're exposed for who we truly are. And David is saying in verses 1 through 6, I see it. I've been exposed. Where can I run? Where can I flee from your presence? We see in David's running, he's come to realize a truth about who God is and where God is. He can't hide from God. God is the ultimate hide-and-seek victor. Look in verses 8 through 10. If I ascend to heaven, you are there, right? If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the undermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall lay hold of me. He's everywhere. From the depths, of, from the, the remotest part of the sea, even to the, the, uh, the waking and, 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 and arising in the morning. He's everywhere. And the truth is, we can't outrun God. We can't hide from God. Read the account of Jonah in the Old Testament, the prophet, who tried to run from God's calling in his life and see that he wound up in the middle of the ocean, in the belly of a fish, at the bottom of the ocean, until he relented and, Cried out, I'll go where you want me to go, God. Now, I want to be clear that this is profoundly comforting for us, for the believer, but this is also profoundly dreadful at the same time. Brothers and sisters, we, we must be guarded against hypocrisy in our lives, where we live one way around God's people and live completely different way when we're not with God's people. For God has sanctified all. All of our lives, our whole lives, not just three or five hours a week. When we walk in intimacy with God and we gather with the church, our community of faith regularly, here's what's happening. We're being equipped for battle against the temptations of the flesh toward sin. Read in verse 11 with me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. You know what David's saying here? He's saying that even in the darkness of our souls, we meet God at every turn. Because here's why. God's pursuit of the believer is relentless. One writer says, he is a jealous lover and his love will not be denied. Francis Thompson calls God the hound of heaven in a poem that he wrote. And David says here, even in the darkness, we can't hide from God. For he made the darkness and the darkness is as light to him. So here's the challenge, brothers and sisters. Let us not seek to run from God, but let us seek to run to God. Friends, are you running from God this morning? If you are, then you must stop. You must confess what the psalmist confesses, that, God, you are everywhere, and I cannot run run from you. Let us be a people who run to God and not run away from God. Is there something in your life that you're dealing with and you continuously are running from God, avoiding intimacy with God? I want to challenge you this morning to submit that to him. Surrender that to him. Let's look at the third confession this morning. In verses 13 through 16. It's as if David's saying, You are the eternal creator, sovereign over my days, and I surrender my life to walk in your way. Listen to the language that he uses to describe God's creative work. Verse 13, For you formed My inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. David is saying, God, you're the author of every fiber of my being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb like a seamstress, meticulously stitches thread by thread, creating a cloth. God intricately and intimately uh, orchestrates the design of a baby in the mother's womb. You see these verses speak to the sanctity of human life. Life is a precious gift from God. And we are to lovingly yet boldly proclaim this truth in a culture and in a world that devalues human life with the practice of abortion. And hear me out, church. We especially need to come alongside women who need to know forgiveness through the redemptive power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the wake of such sin. You see, God is the eternal creator, who is sovereign over all of our days. He has intimately and intricately woven us together. And for this reason, David says in verse 14, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know this. My soul knows this very well. He is the sovereign of our days. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. This is in line with what Job says, speaking of man before God, his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits and he cannot pass. So the believer's response to God's work in our lives should be by surrendering or coming to God, surrendering our lives to walk according to his ways. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 90, 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain or get a heart of wisdom. And so David praises God for his wonderful works in the midst of his life in creating him. And he's singing to God with his soul. His soul knows it very well. His soul has experienced the handiwork of the Creator, and he rejoices. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul writes similarly, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You see, brothers and sisters, it's God's design in your life, in my life, in our lives, That we would walk in obedience and submission to the Father. That the one who created us and knows us best has a plan laid out for us. And that we would walk according to his plan, following him. Surrendering and submitting our lives to his good, pleasing and perfect will. I want to ask you this morning, are you surrendered to walk according to his ways? As creator of your life... God knows you. Hear me out. God knows you. God loves you. And he wants to lead you. And hear this. He has provided a way for you to know and to follow him through Christ. The lamb who was slain for the sin of man. Jesus himself said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. You see, he has provided a way. That we would come to know God, the creator of our very being, of very fibers within our body. So the creator of your life, of my life, knows you, knows me intimately. The question is, do we know him? Do you know him? There is a fourth confession In verses 17 through 22, he says, Your ways are precious to me, and I detest those who are against you. You know, this is probably the most difficult, not probably, this is, this is the most difficult portion of the psalm for me. David turns from the greatness of God to the vileness of God's enemies. And we see in verses 17 and 18 that David rejoices in the precious and vast thoughts of God. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Because the accounting of God's goodness toward his creation, especially with man, is innumerable. So this is yet another reason for David to approach God with great wonder. And I think what we see here is that that in drawing near to God, we experience intimacy that God so lovingly desires with us as his people. So for the believer today... This intimacy comes through reading and meditating on God's word. And so as we approach God in prayer, we long to hear from him and we long to hear him speak through his word. But verse 19, there's a transition, and this is the most difficult part of the psalm. In verses 19 through 22, we, we encounter some strong words against God's enemies Verse 19, here's what he says of them. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood that is murderers, depart from me. They speak against you with malice, with malicious intent. They're your enemies. They take your name in vain. Verse 21, I hate those. Do Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? And then he says, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Which one is it? Is David wrong here? Is he in sin? Does Scripture contradict itself here? The answer is no. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. I think what is happening in this passage is is David's intimacy with God has produced a zeal for God so that he equally, zealously opposes those who align themselves against God. For they are first identified as God's enemies in verses 19 through 22. And so he calls on God to bring judgment upon them. They're murderers. They're false witnesses who speak against God. They they blaspheme God, taking God's name in vain. They're haters of God. And because they've aligned themselves against God, David says that his hatred for them has reached its greatest point of moral outrage. So the question I have is what are we, as New Testament believers, to do with such... Direction and a passage. And I want to caution us before we jump on the bandwagon of permitting our hatred over enemies and those who do something wrong to us. I want to caution us before we go there to hear these words and not take this text as a justification or a license to exercise hatred towards someone who has done something to us to offend us or to hurt us. So hear me out. Remember what Paul tells the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4.32, that we are to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. And then secondly, 2 Peter 3.9, remember this, God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So in the same manner, I would argue that God has demonstrated patience and forgiveness toward us. Let us also exercise that patience and forgiveness, the spirit of forbearance toward others and on behalf of others. But. There will be those who actively oppose God and oppose the message of the gospel. And I think there's another place in the New Testament where we can see an illustration of how the Apostle Paul demonstrates a Christ-centered response in the midst of that sort of circumstance or situation. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, he writes to Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. In other words, Timothy, be guarded against such people. Hand them over to God Entrust them to God. And here's the principle I think we see at work in this text, in this section. As we grow in intimacy with God, Our zeal for the Word of God and the things of God will increase, and our detesting of those things which are against God will also increase. And so we see that we are to long for the things of God and yet detest those things which are against God. There is a fifth confession this morning concerning our intimacy with God. And it's found in verses 23 and 24. Listen to what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He says, search me. Try me. Purge me and lead me. Here is the confessional prayer of the child of God who is growing in intimacy with our Lord. Search me, O God. Know me, try me, test my heart, look within me. David invites the Lord to make his presence known in his life. He asks God to evaluate his heart, see if there's anything in him that's grievous, that's in need of of purging. And I want to challenge us this morning. This includes every thought, every action, every motive of the heart. And so I ask you this morning, is this your confession before the Lord? Search me. Do you know that God knows you intimately even better than you know yourself? And listen, while God knows us intimately, We come to know him intimately when we surrender our lives willingly and obediently to him. Jesus was the obedient son who surrendered his life to the father in order to give us redemption and to bring us into his eternal abode. And hear me out. God has made a way for us to know him intimately. And it's through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world so that we might come into God's presence unhindered, unencumbered, and enjoy His goodness. He knows us intimately. Do you know Him intimately? Is Christ the treasure of your life? I want to pray this morning, and I want to invite you to respond as the Lord might be leading you. Maybe for you this morning, Christ is not the treasure of your life. And maybe the Lord is calling you this morning to respond to the hope of the gospel. And if he is, I want to challenge you this morning to respond as the Lord leads you. I'll be down front if you have questions about what it means to have relationship, to be in relationship with Christ. I I want to be able to answer those questions. And I'll, I'll be standing down front. I can answer those questions, or you can come and find me after service, and I can answer those questions. Or maybe for you this morning, you need to spend some time confessing before the Lord your need and desire for intimacy in your relationship with him. And maybe that looks like you kneeling down on these steps, or maybe it looks like you're kneeling down right where you are, or, or standing there, or sitting there and praying. As the Lord leads you, I want to encourage you to, to respond, to move, and to take a step of faith. As we prepare our hearts this morning, we're preparing to partake of the Lord's Supper, to come to the table. So let us be confessional as we prepare to celebrate the hope of the gospel of our risen Lord, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the sins of the world. Let us pray. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. And we confess that in our shame and guilt we want to run from you, but we also confess that coming before you requires us yielding ourselves and saying we surrender, and we want to walk with you intimately. Father, let this be a portrait of our lives, of our confession. Let these things be the the words that we confess before you, so that we might walk in obedience and fellowship with you, enjoying your good presence. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?